Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spheres of Influence. This is the podcast where we talk about the important spheres in our lives, religion, politics, and culture. My name is Dennis Sanders, and I am your host. This is a special, a second special episode. Um, As many of you know, I am a pastor of a congregation here in the Twin Cities, and for our um, prayer, we do a basically a weekly prayer time, um, and usually, sometimes it it's just me reading scripture. Sometimes it's me um, kind of reflecting on events and where God fits in. And this is um, a video that I did. It was based on something I wrote for our church blog, and then I. Um, adapted it to video. And so I thought um, this is, again, dealing with um, the aftermath of the Derek Chauvin verdict. And I thought it was important to look at that event uh, from a spiritual perspective. Um, The podcast that I did on Tuesday was from a more kind of a newsy political uh, viewpoint, but I wanted to look at this from um, the aspect of faith. Um, and I know I had already put up a video and didn't know if I wanted to put up yet another video on the same topic, but I thought that this might be a message that's important for people to hear. And since this is a podcast that does talk about religion, um, I think it's important to share it. So uh, what you will hear is a recording that I do um called evening prayer. Um, so if you're not super religious, you may want to skip this episode. Um, but I hope that you'll listen anyway, to see what the insights are looking at this major event from a different perspective. So, uh, without further ado, um, here is, uh, evening prayer for, um, from first Christian church of St. Paul, uh, that was recorded yesterday afternoon. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Evening Prayer. My name is Dennis Sanders, the pastor of First Christian Church of St. Paul, which is located in Matabidi, Minnesota. And this is Evening Prayer for April 21st, 2021. When we gathered last week, um, we were talking in the aftermath of the shooting of um, Dante Wright, by Brooklyn Center um, police um, in Brooklyn Center. And we were hearing the final closing arguments or getting close to the closing arguments of the trial of Derek Chauvin for um, the death of George Floyd. Today I'm talking to you in in that aftermath of the verdict. And as you all well know, the verdict um, was that Derek Chauvin was guilty on all three counts uh, for George Floyd's murder. Before we kind of continue on and talk a little bit about some of the experiences of yesterday and the trial in general, I wanted to read 
some scripture. And the, that scripture today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So yesterday, um, as some of you know, I, I am a bivocational worker, and I was at work, I work at another church as the communications manager, when I got a phone call saying that the verdict had been reached. Like a lot of people, it was hard to really focus. Um, so I left a little bit earlier than usual to come home to hear the verdict. And of course, we all heard the verdict um, and there was a lot of relief. The Twin Cities has, I think, been under a lot of stress the last few weeks uh, with the trial, with the more recent shooting of, of Dante Wright. Um, there have been National Guard troops all around the Twin Cities um, with probably just to be there in case things got ugly. So there is a sigh of relief that the verdict came down the way that it did. But it was interesting looking at Twitter and um, there was one tweet from the um, journalist Jake Tapper that was fascinating. And it was, his message was really to remember um, that the news about George Floyd when it first came out was not what we all know. There was this press release, and it was a press release actually from the Minneapolis police about the incident. And, it's, and it talked about the suspect, George Floyd, being under the influence and about two officers arriving and ordering this suspect who was in his 40s to get out of the car. He was handcuffed. He appeared to be in mental, suffering medical distress. An ambulance was called. He was taken to a local hospital where he died a short time later. This, of course, was all in regards to the incident that happened on May 25th, 2020. The problem about this story is that, of course, we all know how the story went down, and this isn't the whole story. In fact, I would say that it's not even a quarter of the story. We know that this is not the real story for one reason. There were witnesses. There were, if you can see, there was a, by another police uh, a, someone from the police body cam, a number of witnesses. And these witnesses were people of all ages, of different ethnicities, um, and from different walks of life. And they were all looking aghast at what was happening. They saw, and in some cases yelled, 
for the police, especially Derek Chauvin, to stop harassing George Floyd. There was this off-duty um, EMT uh, who was begging the officers to check Floyd's pulse when he became unresponsive. And we now know that a lot of the most famous footage was taken by one Darnella Frazier using her smartphone. She took that picture that we have all seen of then officer Derek Chauvin putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd, basically sucking the life out of him having that knee on his back for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Because that there were witnesses that saw all of this happen, they were the witnesses to a crime. And that led to Mr. Chauvin's conviction. The thing about being a witness is that it is risky. It carries a cost. All of those people that were the witnesses that were watching this in some ways were affected by what they were seeing. It was horrific. They had to deal with someone basically killing them, someone before them, in front of their eyes, and that they were dealing with guilt, wondering if they had done enough, wondering should they have stopped it. There have been cases where people have basically broken down in tears when they have recounted this. And some don't even want to come to 38th in Chicago where this all happened. I think one of the more um, searing testimonies has to be from a nine-year-old, Judea who is the cousin of Darnella Frazier, who was there and during the trial said that it felt like he was stopping his breathing and it's like kind, it's kind of like hurting him is what a nine-year-old says describing what's happening to George Floyd. Because there were witnesses there was a cause to challenge the official story and to bring an abusive cop to justice. It is interesting in the Bible, the word for witness is martus. That's the Greek. It's also the same word for the English word martyr. So to be a witness is always coming at a cost, just like in the early times of the church, to be a witness of Jesus came at a cost. So the question is, what does this mean for us, church? Well, at the risk of taking this passage out of context, I'm reminded of the passage that I just read from the book of Hebrews, where the writer talks about being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. 
And for the writer, it is, he's talking about the great cloud of witnesses of faith, such as Abraham, such as Moses. I think for us in the days of this, of the, of this verdict, I think it means that referring to those people on the street, looking at what is happening. We are surrounded by these witnesses. And because we are surrounded by these witnesses, especially as people of God, we're asked to do something. We're asked to be witnesses ourselves. The whole concept of the witness seems to weave itself in and out of the Gospels. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke, that there is this man traveling and he's beaten and he's left for dead. Two men who are both kind of religious men see this man dying on the road and pass him by. There is that one man, the Samaritan, that sees the dying man, picks him up, takes him to a hotel and cares for his wounds. And in Acts 1.8, just as Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples that they will be witnesses, martyrs, throughout the world. Jesus calls his followers, all of his followers, to be witnesses in the world. We are to be witnesses of God's gospel and God's justice. We are to pick up what those witnesses saw at 38th and Chicago nearly a year ago and to work for justice and mercy, to work for police reform and racial reconciliation. In the name of the one that came to earth as a mortal, lived among us and died at the hands of his, day, his own day's version of abusive law enforcement. This is the work that we're called to do. But the thing is, we don't do this just in the memory of a man who died at the hands of a powerful nation. No. In this season that we are, are in, Easter, we are reminded that the one who suffered for us and suffered unjustly also defeated death. And it reminds us that no sin, not even the sin from those in authority, can ever, ever defy the justice of God. So, dear church, we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. The world wants to cover up the sins. They want to come out with an official story that doesn't tell the truth. First Christian of St. Paul might be a small congregation, but we are witnesses to a great big God. Derek Chauvin has been convicted, but there is still work to do. So let us take up the work of these witnesses in Minneapolis because the work is not done. 
And may God empower us to work for healing, for renewal, and for justice. May we be witnesses of wholeness and in healing in a fragmented world.